question. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. So happy Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. I don't know if I hope I'm not alone in this because then I'll be embarrassed, but I completely did not realize that Monday was Memorial Day. And then all of a sudden it sort of hit me that, that it was. So hopefully everyone is having a good start to their Memorial Day weekend minus the really, really big rainstorms out there. That's all right. We could use it now. Yesterday, Justin was watering the lawn here and I'm like, it's going to rain tomorrow. (laughs) I kind of just picture him in like, Basically, uh, like the Christmas vacation outfit with like the bunny slippers and the robe and the hat, just like waving the hose over the lawn. Oh, wait. Or on the tractor driving around the neighborhood. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> oh, man. Was he watering the neighborhood or just? I mean, he's doing everything around the neighborhood. So if anybody needs a tractor for hire, I'm pretty sure that we could do that. Okay. <laughs> nice. I like it. Good. All right. Well, we wanted to jump on really quick and talk this morning about some of the considerations that our fall athletes should be thinking about. John had written a blog post about this a couple weeks ago, and we're going to have a follow-up coming soon. But we wanted to chat a little bit about some of the things. I know there's a lot up in the air right now. Then there was an article the other day published about like what would have to happen if there was going to be fall sports. And that was super entertaining, but I, <laughs> and, I don't even, I don't even want to tell you what we've been hearing from some of the coaches from the colleges. With, like, it's it's remarkable. Like just the stuff that we're hearing is remarkable. Like screens in between lockers and, and yeah. that was the big one. So the teams can practice together and they can tackle each other, but in the locker room, they have to have plexiglass screens in between. Really? And then players on a bench, even though they're going on the field, when they come off the field, have to be masked and sitting six feet apart. Yeah. I did see that one, yeah. Um, that was kind of interesting. I also saw something about the people in the – oh, boy. What happened? Are we still good? Um, Looks like we're still good unless it cut off. No, nah, all right. I'm okay then. Okay. There we go. That's better. The, yeah, some of the, you know, some of the stuff is crazy. And then some of the rules about like, you know, disinfecting a ball, if more than one person are going to touch it. I think pretty much we determined that golf had the best chance of occurring like normal. Other than that, I don't know what, you know, what, how they're going to manage all that stuff. Well, I know um, in uh, like it obviously depends on well the budgeting thing is going to be a nightmare, but like some of the German leagues for soccer, these things have been starting back up, but they're placing just uh, like a plethora of balls around the field so that you know a player doesn't have to go into like because let's be honest in soccer aside from using your hands to fake an injury, you know we have to throw the ball in, so I guess it gives them an opportunity if it goes out of bounds, I grab a freshly sanitized one and the one that just went out that has better at the clearing, so who knows. Yeah, it's, it's odd, but you know, I think from our standpoint, right, the biggest thing that we, we want to be super concerned about is we are looking at, you know, as people get ready for this, right? I think in the beginning, everyone kind of thought, all right, we're definitely going to have a fall season. And then it was sort of like, oh no, what if we don't have a fall season? And so now, you know, I think what we wanted to get on and chat about today is, first of all, I think everyone needs to prepare as if there is going to be a fall season for a yep. couple of reasons. One, I think, you know, from a competition standpoint and a injury prevention standpoint and all that, it's really important that everyone's prepared. 
Also, no one's doing anything else. So prepare like there's going to be a fall season. You've got nothing to lose exactly. um, other than getting into better conditioning. So, you know, that's the big thing. But also some people's access to practice, equipment, teams, these things are going to be limited. And so thought this would be a good time to chat about that and give some advice on how people can handle that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you made a good point. You know, people need to just act as if um, no matter what. I mean, for a number of reasons. Worst case scenario, it doesn't happen. We need to start getting active again. You know, everybody, not just athletes, but people need to get active and get outdoors a little bit more. Thankfully, this is occurring. Yeah, if there's a silver lining, it's that it's not the dead of winter for us right now. Okay. And so we can get out and be more active. But, you know, the, the biggest things that we're seeing that Ashley and I, you know, because, you know, Soccer is one of our passions, you know, working with the fall athletes coming in with a lot of high school and uh, college coaches, you know, statistics show that the most like tragic and catastrophic injuries happen within the first two weeks of reporting back to mandatory training after a period of inactivity. And I mean, I think every college coach will, you know, kind of attest to that the first couple of weeks into the preseason is when you're going to have some things kind of pop up and rear their ugly heads. And you're always going to have the athletes that are prepared well. And then you're always going to have the ones that, you know, were kind of skirting by. And then there may be a couple stragglers that really didn't do anything. And they were just, you know, figured that they'd play catch up. And I think that's fine, you know, and we can kind of deal with the normal statistics there if they've been playing, but nobody's been playing for months now. So that's going to kind of be the follow-up to the, the, the first blog post that I, I, I kind of put out and Ashley and I have been tag teaming this and talking with a lot of strength coaches and, you know, actual team coaches to try and figure this out. And the nice thing is the NSCA, the National Strength and Conditioning Association has guidelines strictly for this, for reintroducing athletes. So for this acclimatization period after a long period of inactivity. And so we've been able to put together some formulas and figure out exactly how to put objective criteria into this. How long should the players be playing for week one, week two, week three, week four, how many days off should they be given, what kind of intensity. And there's something that it completely threw me for a loop, but it makes complete sense about the fitness testing. And I definitely want to get into that later, but I'll let kind of Ashley talk a little bit before I keep rambling. I mean, I think one of the big things that we should really take into account is how much time we have right now. And in regards to athletes preparing for sport, we're all kind of, some of us are sitting around, some athletes are going out. And I think there's another aspect that we should talk about too, because there's some athletes out there who right now are busting their butt 100% every day. And, you know, parents are calling and they're concerned and they're saying, hey, you know what? You know, my kid is out there and they are just going gung-ho on the field or in my yard. They're out there for an hour and a half a day. And that's also something in this time that we need to examine in regards to preparedness for the fall, because we don't want athletes to go in overtrained and over fatigued. So aside from just saying, hey, you know what, we're worried about them being prepared. There's also going to be those people who are out there that are doing just that little bit too much. So looking at it from a little bit of a different spectrum, that's just that's one of the other things that we really have to look at and observe going into the fall. We have what probably like what do we say, 12, 13 weeks yeah, um, of time to prepare. Yeah. So we don't need to be going all out right now. You know, we should be doing a gradual build. And that's where, you know, all of the statistics and stuff that we'll talk about, you know, John was talking about this, this period of time where we can kind of draw up and start increasing time. You know, we should use that to our advantage. And you know what? Not everybody knows how to do that, but that's our goal is to kind of say, hey, you know what? This is what we think should be going on how we should be implementing these training plans and what should be a part of these training plans. Because 
it shouldn't just be running. It shouldn't just be weightlifting. It shouldn't just be a whole bunch of plyometrics. We have to kind of go through and look at it little by little as to what it should be for athletes to stay healthy. Justin, anything? No, no, good. Yeah, I was, you know, I was going to say, I think that, you know, you see these, these athletes are losing access a little bit to their coaches. Mm -hmm. They're losing access to facilities, right? So a lot of, you know, especially you look at these high school athletes and you look at different fields being closed, different club teams being, being off for the spring. And so everybody's going to be coming into this fall season in a significantly different position than they were before and probably with different resources at their disposal to work through. And I think there's different, you know, we, we could sort of look at this from a bunch of different perspectives, but you've got, you know, you've got the high school athletes returning to high school. The other thing to look at is the like middle school athletes going to high school. Yeah. And then you also have the high school athletes going to college for their freshman year. Lots of changes, right? Lots of differences as far as when will preseason start? Will there be a preseason? Will we be on, camp- will we be on campus in the fall? Will we be home? Where's that going to be? And so I think the first thing needs to just be developing an open line of communication with the coaches. Yeah. And I think whether, you know, most of the time, and, and especially when I was, you know, coaching rowing, I used to really have this idea that like I was dealing with kids who were licensed to drive a vehicle. And if they were licensed to drive a vehicle, I did not want to hear from their parents because I used to tell the parents before the season that like your child has permission from the state to go out and accidentally kill somebody. The first thing we can do is try and let them handle this on their own. And so, but now I think in this situation, I would like to see some parents maybe get a little bit more involved. Because I think that some of the kids might not necessarily know what's going on. And so from a coaching standpoint, this is where I would like to have a little bit more communication with the parents and have the parents reach out with different concerns that they might be having. Because everyone's family is in a different spot with different issues. And so I think the first thing just needs to be a really good open line of communication. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go for it, Ash. I've been talking to a lot of coaches about communication and how – this is a time where a lot of us do have some more spare time where creating that, like you've been talking about, that open line of communication or just those paths of communications with players is of utmost importance. And we do have coaches who are hosting Zoom sessions and they're doing different training protocols and they're trying to stay in contact with their athletes. But that's where the parental kind of communication comes into play as well because kids may not know how to use utilize these devices. A lot of them do. But the other thing is, is just making sure that athletes feel comfortable talking to whomever they need to talk to. And sometimes if parents have been that mode of communication for so long between the player and the coach, the athletes aren't going to necessarily know how to contact or communicate with the coach. And staying staying up and staying up to date with your athletes is probably one of the most important things just to make sure, hey, you know what, what's going on? Are there other things going on right now? How are you feeling? And making sure they're training appropriately. Like I talked about, we want to make sure that the training loads aren't too high or too low. This is a time where you can really say to your player, you know what, this is what you should be doing. And if you don't know what to do, then, you know, that's where resources externally, like whether you communicate with someone like us, whether it's a strength and conditioning coach, something of that sort, to say, hey, you know what, what should my players be doing a little bit right now? So communication, not only amongst parents and athletes, but also external sources that may benefit your program in the long run. 
Yeah, I think thankfully right now a lot of college coaches are willing to be open to new ideas because everybody's like, okay, what am I doing? And even the coaches, are, you know, preseason is being pushed back because potential start dates for NCAA competitions aren't being sanctioned until the second week into September. So we're really playing with their timeline, and I, you know, a lot of them are, are more open to talking with, you know, their their staff, their sports med staff, you know, their strength coaches, things like that. So I, I think it's again, I'm a I'm a I'm an optimistic guy, and I'm also realistic. And I think the silver lining here is that it's giving people an opportunity to really utilize that team framework, and the strength coaches get a chance to shine. I'll still never forget. I had this one one soccer player that you know, I, I, it was a good group of kids that I was training, and I was introducing front squats to them and he was going off to uh, division one to go play to college. I'm not going to throw the coach under the bus as much as I would love to. And he was front squatting as a freshman coming in, you know, so trying to increase his training age, you know, getting into college and like <clears throat> into the season, the coach was like, you need to stop, you know, lifting and squatting so much. You're, you're just going to slow yourself down and beef up. And I remember him calling me so frustrated and I spoke to his strength coach and he was like, yeah, I'd rather bang my head against the wall than try and, you know, deal with this coach. So, like, these are the kind of things where you need to have not just open lines of communication, but you guys realize the coach is supposed to coach. The strength coach is supposed to prioritize the strength and conditioning and injury prevention, and the sports med staff is supposed to manage injuries, right, acute management. So that being said, you know, it's a chance for us to kind of get into the nitty-gritty, and and if you guys want to go right into, like, talking about some of the specific measures that coaches can be taking, I think people are, you know, probably interested in that. Yeah, let's go for it. Absolutely. All right, so one thing that we found is, so again, going back to the NSCA's guidelines for uh, reacclimatization, you know, from inactivity, right? So we're looking at it in a neat four-week cycle. So week one, week two, week three, week four. And basically approaching it from, the first thing you have to understand is what you want your maximum practice to be. So in an ideal setting, how long is your, like, ultimate practice? So is it, do you want your practices to last two hours, three hours, you know, hour and a half? So you have to come up with that number first. And the, the number with that, you know, I kind of went over with one of my old strength coaches is two hours. So let's use two hours. The first week, the goal is going to be, so if you're going to practice six out of seven days, which is what NCAA allows, which is what I think high school regulations allow also, six days at two hours is 12 hours for that week, right? Or 12 hours a week. So the first week, you're starting at 50% of that total volume. At week two, uh, week two, you're going to 70%. Week three is 80%. And then week four, you're at full volume of practice. Okay. So that full 12 hours. So it's 50, 70, 80, and then 100% full, uh, full workload. So you're basically taking, let's, let's use that first week. So 50% of 12 hours is six. So you're able to practice six hours through that first week. You basically just break down five of those, uh, sorry, six of those days. You know, and some practices are going to be a little more than an hour. Some practices are going to be a little less, but that's basically how you're you looking at it. And again, this, we won't get any more specific than that because we could take that in so many different directions. But the idea is week one is 50% total time on feet. That doesn't include film sessions, team gatherings, things like that, but just time on your feet, time with the ball. And then week two, 70, week three, 80, and then getting into more full, full volume. And again, that's, that's just in an attempt to mitigate the risk of injury as much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a special consideration, just random aside, when we look at like two-a-day practices and when we look at the intense practices and stuff of that sort. It's just something to think about, especially going into preseason. You know, if there is going to be a preseason that may have to decrease the workload, we may not be able to overreach. We may not be able to make athletes, you know, strive a little bit harder, push them psychologically because there's been a lot of stressors on their system recently. 
they're going to need to recover. They're going to need to feel comfortable with their team. They're going to need to feel comfortable with their coach. And over the past several months, there's been so much thrown at them that this is why these guidelines that John's talking about are going to be of utmost importance. It's going to be don't overstress not only the body of this athlete, but the like the psych- psychological and mental status of this athlete. Because there's a lot that's been been changed. There's a lot that's been stressful, and it's just really important to think about. I'll yeah, say and- too, like you know, one of the things just from like having dealt with a lot of coaches, right, is they're always worried about this. You know, they never want to be be behind the other guys. They want an advantage over their you know counterparts. And whatever rules are put in place and whenever people are allowed to start practicing and allowed to start doing things, they're going to be there for everybody. Yep. So I think it's important to remember that, that now more than ever, everybody's playing with an even deck. You know, sometimes, you know, people might say like, all right, well, you know, that coach is, they've got a, a club team and it's really the entire high school team. And so they're not really allowed to be practicing, but they are practicing and the coach isn't supposed to be at the captain's practice, but clearly you can't have a bunch of high school kids running around by themselves. So there's a coach there. So the kids yeah. are worried about performing in front of the, the coach. Well, now everybody's, you know, starting from the exact same spot. And so more than ever, you know, in reality, the team with the best advantage is the team that gets to the first game with all their players healthy. And not only that, the, the team that can keep those players healthy midway through the season. Right. You don't, I mean, you, you start to throw too much on. I mean, we are dealing with young athletes here who are pretty resilient, but they still break down, but they just don't break down as quickly as us weekend warriors do. They're going to break down. Speak for fits. yourself. We're not all weekend warriors here. <laughs> Man, I can't get away without throwing myself under the bus. Um, <laughs> But we were talking to one Division One coach, and he's like, we're toying around with the idea of only start playing our starters 60 minutes um, the first few weeks, the first, you know, maybe month of competition. You know, that's thankfully it's non-conference play. But that's an attempt to save them, you know, save some energy in the tank. Because let's be honest, when it comes to preventing these injuries, the reason we do strength and conditioning is so that athletes can repeat efforts. And they can repeat efforts without sustaining injuries. So you look at like male soccer statistics, right? A lot of injuries, a lot of muscle pulls happen late in the game because it's just the repeatability of efforts is diminished the more you get peripheral fatigue, the more you get muscular fatigue. So central fatigue comes in too where your nervous system fatigues and you're not as quick to respond. And that's where you can get a lot of non-contact injuries like ACLs, ankle sprains, things like that. So both of these types of injuries are a product of fatigue and the lack of repeatability of efforts. And so I think if, you know, Justin, if coaches don't heed what you just said, where they don't take this as an opportunity to create, you know, well-rounded players and they just pile on too much too quick to try and get ahead of the next guy, they're going to, you know, crash and burn really quickly. I think they're going to lose a lot of starters and that's where the communication comes in because that, you know, it may not be a fault of the players. I think the coaches that, you know, we're friendly with everybody, but we're also not afraid to say what we mean, especially in healthcare a lot of onus falls on the coaches to put in the work to make sure that they're setting up good training sessions also. And that's where the communication part from us comes in to try and educate everybody and do our part. We're not trying to tell them how to run a training session as far as tactics and technical work. We're just trying to say, hey, listen, this is how you get them strong. This is how you keep them healthy so you can make it to the postseason. And a lot of athletes, from t- they'll come into preseason, they'll be roaring, they'll be ready to go, and then all of a sudden we see this midseason collapse. And a lot of the time, what we can say is, yes, that person might have come in underprepared, but they were great, good enough to go for preseason. Um, but what we find out as we go is they really weren't weren't in shape. They weren't doing their job. Or 
it's a, you know, it comes from and stems from early season, um, overreaching of goals, overtraining that then causes this great climb and then this great collapse. And that's what I feel like we might see a lot this year because people are going to come in. Yes, they're going to probably have been working, at least we hope, in the off season. And then all of a sudden we come in and people seem prepared and we really push really, really hard. And all of a sudden we see a big drop in performance. And that's what we don't want to see. And we don't want to set people up for that. And that's why, you know, really implementing a good plan that doesn't necessarily incorporate too much too fast, especially when you get back into the season, is going to be extremely important to see to see athletes just continue to grow and not necessarily fall to the bottom. Yeah, so I think, you know, the other thing that's really important to remember is, yeah, like you haven't had the off season you're used to, right? And you maybe you, you're not going to get the same preseason, but don't forget that you also didn't have a spring. And yeah. so, you know, especially just if we use like cross country athletes as an example, you know, running is like a one sport where it's super easy to calculate volume, right? And you look at, you know, volume over time and all this stuff. Well, you know, there was no track season. There was no spring track season. And yeah, you know, you figure you get a bunch of high school kids and you give them some workouts to do and you're probably going to get somewhere between like 40 and 60% compliance. You know, you'll probably get closer to 40 and they'll probably tell you it's somewhere around 50. But then you start to get those guys into the, you, you know, some sort of summer training plan and then you start to get them into something going on in the fall because, you know, you know, if we're really super honest, like cross country is probably one of the easier sports to get going in the fall. You know, there's, exactly. you know, not a lot of, you know, common items that are going to be touched. The fans aren't very close. Uh, you know, I guess they, they might be close together while they're running, but they could, you know, there could be some spreading apart there. But then you start to get that. And then you also might have athletes playing different sports. And so the other thing to look at is if you've got athletes who are coming into your sport as a coach and, they maybe are doing that because their sport's not able to compete right then. You might have a super great natural athlete that looks amazing on day one, but you got to remember that if their body's not used to the demands of your sport, they're going to break down. Yep. Yep. Big time. I mean, that's also, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that, Justin. Yeah, you may have a lot, you may see cross country rosters going up a lot, especially with, you know, with a lot of the field athletes looking to run because that's what they can do is run. But I'll tell you what, I could play soccer my whole life. Man, I didn't ever want to run longer than a mile before I got to grad school. So I think I think it's a norm among soccer players. Yeah, it's you know why do we bitch and moan so much about doing fitness? It's like we chose a sport where you literally sprint for a living (laughs) all day, every day, and look how much distance is covered. Um, you know, Uh, it's yeah, it's interesting. One other thing is, you know, for, for sports like running, so for cross country, probably has the best uh, chance of success, not only at getting off the ground, but also at staying safe because we're looking at efforts that are at sustained intensity. They're not changing uh, intensity. Like we were talking to one of the other the coaches yesterday, the starting and stopping, accelerating and decelerating is where you're going to see a lot of increased issues in the, uh, in the injury area because that's where you're putting the most amount of stress on the connective tissue. And that's what the athletes aren't getting by not having a spring a summer season and a very uh, truncated uh, preseason. So that's where it's important now to create proper strength training programs to also implement plyometrics. So I know a lot of people have said, but my kids don't have access to a facility and, you know, a gym. And, and to be honest, that's okay because when we're dealing with most field athletes and we say most, there is no extrinsic load. There's no external load. All they have to do is handle their body weight. So body weight plyometrics is actually 
probably the best chance of success they have at getting fit and ready for preseason. So you don't have to have a fancy facility. Um, you don't have to have a lot of extra weight at home. We're working on creating some awesome programs to send out for people, and, and we'll definitely put them up as well. So, you know, that's something that people need to start implementing now. We talk about our 14-week timeline, and that's plenty of time. High school kids actually have a better chance of success, even if hopefully, fingers crossed, gyms do open up in like mid-July. They may have access to a facility for four to six weeks, um, whereas a lot of college athletes may not have that because they're reporting sooner. But then they'll be back at their own college and they may have the facility. So that's something to keep in mind is plyometrics need to be prioritized now. And I think that's what most kids with a young training age don't do a whole lot of is they're great with squatting. You know, we're happy that social media has brought about this interest in strength training for the younger athletes. But still, the one thing they're missing, they're great with like strength training and resistance, but not so much with plyometrics. And I think that's something good that we can talk about in the future is how to implement those plyometrics and what kind. You literally took the words out of my mouth, John. One of the big, one of the big things to think about. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and we share a lot of the same knowledge. Yeah. When we, when we look at, you know, plyometrics and those movements, you know, those are some of the best ways as youth athletes to develop more neuromuscular control, to develop as a player and develop it as an athlete, to just have that person move better over time. You know, a lot of the time, what we realize is that, especially with female athletes, is that that's what they're lacking as they go through. They're lacking that neuromuscular control. And if it's whether their bodies just don't develop as much, their their basic systems don't have as much time as a male to, say, adjust to their growth patterns because females, like, pubertal spurt is so much shorter than a male's. You know, it's just important for injury prevention, too. As these kids get older and move through sports and move through stuff of that sort. But also with, with kind of looking at that acceleration and deceleration, another thing to think about is they're not doing this right now. Most people are not going out and doing sprints in their front yard. They're not jumping regularly. They're not having the demand of sport. And that's why we are talking about it's so important to do some of this stuff to decrease or to actually improve their capacity, improve their tolerance to load as they start to slowly play and ball skills are great and doing stuff with the ball at the feet at their feet or in their hands or as they're swinging, it's all great stuff. You know, we have a you know predisposition to always go to the ball at the feet because that's what we're used to, but they have to think outside the box. What other types of things do these athletes need to do? They need to run, they need to jump, they need to pivot and just keep moving them in ways that are going to make it better for them as they go to return to sport. You know, some, some states are opening back up and they're starting to play again. And I think it's going to be a while until we're able to do that in the Northeast in this general vicinity. But once even small sessions are able to start, and even if it's, you know, far apart, spread and wide, I have a feeling that if we don't start implementing some of these changes, as soon as those small sessions start, we're going to see muscle pulls. We're going to see these kind of tendonitis type things pop up, just these overuse injuries because kids aren't ready. Um, and they're not being exposed to different types of stimuli that they need to be. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, I agree. Go ahead, I'd, say, I'd say the last thing I want, I'd want to say is with regards to something. Uh, so I alluded to it earlier. And if you would ask me maybe about a month ago, I would have said the complete opposite. But right now, when it comes to fitness testing, which is something that a lot of coaches throw out there, they're benchmarks and they're no shortage of fitness tests to put out there for, for athletes. You know, whereas a month ago, I would have said we need to do it and we need to do it early. I now I've kind of changed my thinking. We need to get away from any kind of fitness testing early on. 
And in, in fact, like for a good seven to 10 days, you're just doing non prescribed fitness with them. You're, you're just letting them get used to, to their sport, regardless of what sport it is. And you're not adding any kind of extra stress on them for the first seven to 10 days. And that's basically because everybody, so we're going to call it a sympathetic state. So it's basically your sympathetic nervous system is a heightened response, heightened stress on the body. And there's stress enough here with the return to activity and trying to, you know, come back uh, and gain some success from this whole situation that there's no need to throw any other stress on them. You don't want to put the athletes in any other kind of sympathetic state where their nervous system might be experiencing excess stress. Because again, that's just, again, increased risk of injury right there. We also don't want to give any kind of, you know, catastrophic stress. Listen, you know, heart stress in young athletes is, is a real thing. It does happen. People panic. When you test, they're not only thinking about passing, but they're also trying to solidify their spot in the roster, in the pecking order. And it really does, if nobody has been there before, it creates such an element of stress on the body the day of fitness testing. You could be the fittest person out there, and it's still, it's it's the nerves are right there. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about my fitness testing in college. <laughs> so it always the, gives goosebumps. Oh, it's not, no fun. <laughs> um, for the first 7 to 10 days, just kind of let them be. And then when you do implement something, we recommend a self-limiting fitness test. Again, I don't want to ramble. I'll let Ashley talk about that part because we were talking about that the other day. You know, some of some of the fitness tests that we see are like the yo-yo intermittent test. That's a self-limiting test. Tests where people can basically say, I've had enough. This is all I'm doing. And they're not forced to necessarily, you know, finish something because we have a standard of two miles or three miles or et cetera. It's something like that. Something that the athlete can choose when they're done. So the yo-yo, they're basically, you know, doing intervals at different, you know, like a beep test. They run to cone to cone and they basically have a say as to when they're done. So that's what we mean by self-limiting. It's not that you're forcing them to do something for a prolonged period of time. It is a short, repeated interval that they can say, I've had enough. But when we look at that, it's extremely important to say also at this point in time that we need to look at healthy, you know, healthy lifestyle. So John's talking about heart stress and we're talking about just stress in general. I think one thing that's probably being overlooked during all of this is Kids don't have schedules. Sleeping schedules are off kilter. Athletes with sleep are off kilter. And we all know how important sleep is for performance and also for kind of decreasing stress levels. So I guess that's just a little random tangent is that on the side, make sure that even though we're in different times, making sure athletes are getting enough rest, getting enough hydration, nutrition, sleep. Um, and we can stress sleep all day just because we know everything that comes of it. So Really thinking about that as we get closer to season. And even now, start keeping things on a schedule. Don't necessarily get it too into or let it get too interrupted over time so that we still have enough rest and kind of restful practices built into a day. Yeah, I think that's that's big. I also think, you know, even you talk about that, but like you look at like some of the college coaches, you know, as as these kids are now like, you know, hopefully getting to go back to campus in the fall. That's going to be an awkward, stressful environment for everybody. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's going to be weird rules. They might not feel great leaving their family. There, you know, there's a lot that sort of is going to be, especially you look at these like, uh, college freshmen. That's going to be, uh, it's going to be a lot on them as they go into there. So, you know, I think that's an important thing for the coaches to, to sort of know. But let's do this. So we've been going for a little over 30 minutes here and that's about the, timeline that I think people get pretty bored about hearing us ramble. So let's go around here and we'll let Ashley go first. 
and then I'll go last so that if I so that I I'll get stuck having to pick the the bottom of the barrel. But um, <laughs> give uh, let's hear. I'd be interested to hear what you guys have. If you could have one piece of advice for an athlete and one piece of advice for a coach, just like what the number one thing would be, and you can't repeat something someone else says. Okay. Number one, number one piece of advice for a coach. I think I've been saying this over and over again, and John can attest to this is open lines of communication. Make sure that you are talking to your athletes regularly. You're talking to their parents. You're talking to your external sources. You know, I think that's huge for an athlete right now. You know what? It's not the end of the world. We're going to get through this. You can get through this and make sure that you are doing the best you can to make sure that you feel prepared. You know, feeling prepared for some people is getting enough sleep and adequate nutrition and going out on a run. For other people, it's going out and sprinting all out and doing your whole thing, but just making sure that you feel confident in what you're doing. And if you don't, reach out for help. Nice. John? All right. So I think my advice for an athlete might be a little unconventional here as I was thinking about it. I'm going to go the opposite way and just say, You've got to be optimistic here. Uh, you've got plenty of time. You've got 14 weeks to prepare. So honestly, there's really no reason I'd give you any other advice. But I will say, if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Yes. Uh, I mean, this is coming from a guy who literally felt like a god in his high school. That was some of my favorite memories was playing in the fall season and going to win the first you know, championship in, in school history, things like that. I literally lived for it. And I can remember when 9-11 happened, there was the, the fear that we may not have seasons and I was way too young and inexperienced to understand the, the ramifications of what actually happened globally. All I could think about driving home, I still remember that ride home where I was really scared that we might not have a season. Again, it's all about priorities, right? A young kid, but it's okay, guys. Things are going to be changing. You've still got your teammates. So my, my one piece of advice for you is talk to each other. Start getting your team dynamic now. You know, with all the technology, you guys can, st- can stay in touch, push each other. For coaches, my advice is less is more. Um, this is never more, you know, important than now to understand that you, we can't go ahead and just push people. We can't make up for lost time when it comes to fitness. Uh, it just doesn't happen. Again, everybody's in the same boat. Less is more. Think about the long term. Don't compromise the short term for the long term. And that's the same piece of advice I give to all my athletes that ask me the infamous question, when do you think I'll be ready again? And just don't compromise the short term for the, the long term for the short term. Nice. Uh, all right. So you definitely stole both of mine in one way or another. So <laughs> uh, we did it. <laughs> so, yeah, right? so I would say my advice for coaches would be, um, I think most coaches are guilty of this and they, they keep so much information from year to year to year, as far as what they did on training day one in 2006, or depending on their age, 1985. And I would say, throw all that away. Don't even look at it because if you're looking at it, you're going to compare this year to years past. Just don't even look at it. It's probably mostly in your head. Try and ignore it. This year is going to be completely different and don't, don't try to, don't try to go with percentages and scale things around and worry about how it compares to prior seasons. You know, you'll, you'll do better by just focusing on what's going on in front of you. And I think my advice for athletes would be to lean on your friends and make sure that you know, somebody on the team and it doesn't necessarily need to be like the, you know, the so-called captain of the team or whatever, but somebody should take charge in making sure that, that everybody's okay. And that everybody's talking about what's going on because there might be things people don't necessarily want to say to the coach. People might not like something. And so 
someone on your team wants, you know, should be stepping up and sort of making sure that everyone's leaning on each other and, and uh, being good teammates that way. Cause I think this year more than ever, it'll be, be super important. Yeah. All right. Well, with that, everybody go have a great Memorial Day weekend. Enjoy. I think I'm going to go join the kids and jumping in puddles outside because I don't hear <laughs> them upstairs, which means they must be outside. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Have a great weekend, everybody.